Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is from Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the place and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Amen. We are a clapping church. That is good. Thank you, Wyatt. Good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We've been doing a sermon series the past couple of weeks where we've been looking uh, really word by word or phrase by phrase at our vision. And we've been doing that because our vision is the blueprint for what we want to see happen here. It's the blueprint for how we're going to exist. And today we get to the last word, the last phrase of our vision. That vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. And so we're going to look at the phrase, in the city. How, the question you should ask yourself is, how does where we live affect what we do? Our text Jeremiah, here in Jeremiah might be the best place that I know of that lays out what it means to be called to any kind of particular physical space. A few weeks ago, uh, Bruce and I had the privilege of sitting down with some songwriters and artists, and uh, they, these, these individuals were really good at their craft. Uh, one of these songwriters was telling a story about he wrote a song that was fairly successful, and so his producers and his agent wanted him to go do a music video in Maui. And so he flies to Maui, and they're filming on the beach. He's wearing a jacket, and the director says, you know what? Take that jacket off. Let's just, you know, you're on the beach. Just wear your T-shirt. So it's uh, lip singing, right? So it's not, there's no music. Uh, there's no audio. And after a couple takes, the director says, you know what? Can you, can you like stand up straighter and suck in your gut a little bit more? I mean, it's, it's that'd be really helpful for just the camera and stuff. And so, you know, it's show business. So he's trying to do that. But they had to keep doing the takes over and over again because he kept forgetting. And he, and he, the, he just kept kind of, you know, so his wife was on set too, and his wife was there. He goes, you know what? I'll help you. If you when you keep forgetting, I'll keep yelling, gut, gut. Not, and he keep thinking, he, you know, it, wasn't, it sounded like cut, but he's, she, she was saying gut. So he's trying to lip sing, and, and she keeps saying gut, gut. She was the only person who could do that as his wife because she could be a truth teller to tell him exactly what he needed. Jeremiah is the same thing for us. Jeremiah is a truth teller. He is here to be on set with us, to speak truth to us, to tell us what we need to hear. 
And he's doing that to the people of God, Israel. At this junction in their history, they've been taken away into exile, into Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. This is around 586 B.C. And yet, what God is saying through Jeremiah was, you still need to be on mission in the city. And so let's look at this passage in four ways. Let's see this, four things. Let's look at the hand of God behind mission. Let's look at the three alternatives against mission. The mission of seeking the peace of the city through the peacemaker. Four things. I'll say it again. We're going to look at the hand of God behind all mission. We're going to look at the three alternatives to mission. We're going to look at seeking the peace of the city as mission through the peacemaker. So first, let's look at the hand of God behind mission. In your text, I've only given you verses 4 through 7. If you go to verse 1 of Jeremiah 29, this is what it says. It says, this letter is written by the prophet Jeremiah to the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile to Babylon, which is a nice, you know, opening statement. Let me just tell you, I'm talking to the people that Nebuchadnezzar carried away, which I'm sure the readers would have been like, thanks for telling me what we already know. But the questions that they probably had was the bigger problem. What were the questions if you were carried away, you're the people of God, you're carried away into Babylon, what would you be asking? You'd be asking this, why is this happening to us? You'd be asking, where's God in this suffering? You would be asking, I thought the arc of all of history was about bringing us into the promised land, and now you're taking us out. This doesn't make any sense. And frankly, when you only see the human side of all actions, you're going to get discombobulated. It's not going to make sense. And so if you look at our text, verse 4, Jeremiah now writes this. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. That's, that should, you know, that's a little bit interesting, isn't it? Because we just, what I just told you is in verse 1, it says Nebuchadnezzar carried you into exile. And just to drive home the point again, look at verse 7. He says, I have carried you off into exile. And so that begs the question for us, which one is it? Was it Nebuchadnezzar that carried them off into exile? Or was it God who carried them off into exile? It's within three verses of each other. And the answer the Bible says over and over and over again is that it's both. It's, the answer is yes. We see this in other parts of the Bible. If you want to, I used to do this with college students, if you want to play a game, there's a part of Exodus where it talks about how Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then sometimes it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I used to play a, a game with students. I used to say, well, who hardened whose heart? Was it Pharaoh who hardened his heart or was it God? And sometimes within a couple of verses, the phrases would switch. And I think, of course, the writer's trying to get across Yes, it's both. Or go to the, just go to the overarching story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was left for dead. He uh, was thrown into jail. Everything was lost. It was bad. It was hurt. It was broken. And yet decades later, he could look at his brothers and say, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. And so the, the term that we're talking about or the concept behind all this is, is the uh, is a word that is probably not used a lot around here, but in seminary they teach you it's called compatibilism. Compatibilism is the idea, it's, what's compatible is the idea that humans have free agency over their actions. 
They are responsible for their actions, and yet God is completely and fully and utterly in power and in control and sovereign still. And so Nebuchadnezzar was wrong. He's culpable. He's completely responsible for his violent uh, colonialist actions against the Jews. And Jeremiah actually talks about this in, in chapter 51 and 52. He talks about the evils of Babylon. But then God is able to use that for good. And I think modern people, this bothers us because we don't know how to keep these things together. We want to pull them apart. And we usually say it's either, I, you know, I have action and agency or God. And yet what you see is here in verse 1 and then 4 and then 7, it's both. And it's all over the Bible as well. That God used the exile for the people. And if you, look, if you zoom out a little bit and look at the overarching history of Israel, their history was pretty checkered. They had not been living as they should have. They kept constantly falling into idolatry. They kept constantly behaving like every other nation. Every other nation had a, uh, some sort of thing to worship, a golden calf. We're going to worship a golden calf. Everybody else has a king. We want a king. So they get Saul. Didn't go so well. So what God is saying is, you keep chasing what the world says is going to be good for you. Right? The world says you're going to be happiest with money and power and time. And God keeps saying, I have so much more in store for you. But since you don't know how to get it, I'm going to have to bring it. And what's interesting about the exile, it's not just after the exile, it's actually through it. That by being in Babylon, Israel ends up figuring out not how just to live in that culture, but to how, how to be a counterculture. They start creating synagogues. They start creating spaces where they are able to worship and be the people of God still. And so what God does is he uses the evil of Nebuchadnezzar, who th he thought he was bringing uh, Judaism into Babylon to destroy it. Instead, God uses it to make them stronger than they ever could have been if it hadn't happened at all. And if you want to, again, zoom out even further, it was out of Judaism, it was out of the womb of what happened here that Christianity comes out. That because they knew now not just how to live in Jerusalem, but everywhere else, and the social pressures of whatever culture they were in, they were able to kind of figure out how to live in that space. Christianity was able to take off because of that. And a lot of you are like, well, so what? <laughs> so what? Here's the, here's the question to ask out of this. Why are you in New York? Why are you here? And I hope that the answer, the first answer out of, your, out of your mind isn't, well, because I applied to a job and they liked my resume and so here I am. I hope the answer is not, well, I always grew up here. I'm from New York. I've always gonna, I was, I was born here, I'm gonna die here. Both those answers are just Nebuchadnezzar answers. Both those answers are only looking at the human side of things. I want you to ask the deeper question. Why did God bring you here? The text says to us here that it's never just your actions. There's always the hand of God behind it as well. And we have to ask ourselves then, if we're just not thinking that way, then it's possible we're just letting half or I guess it's fully your decisions and fully God as well. We're losing out, potentially, on what he has in store for us. 60 years ago, if you'd lived here 
Culture was still more, more or less Christian in, in New York City. Today, it's much more like an exile. The culture has different values, has different narratives. It's trying to absorb you. But if God brought you here, he has a bigger reason for you to be here to just live a comfortable life, make a bunch of money, care for only your immediate family, and then get out. He does. And I don't, I don't believe he doesn't care about where you live. Because of course he does. He has you here right now. So let me just go one step further. I think what we'll see is that Israel, in the next verse or two, is given a bigger purpose in meeting. That they were to be on mission. They weren't supposed to just to survive. They were supposed to build and plant and stick around. But God knew before he could say that, the reason why he says in verse 4, I carried you off in mission, to, to be on mission here. He knew they first needed to accept that it was him behind what brought them there. So to get kind of really real, if for them, no matter how bad the exile was, no matter what happened to them and how they got there, God was behind it, the same is for us. I don't know everybody's individual stories in this room. I don't know what you've suffered through. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what kind of deserts you've had to cross. I don't know what kind of wildernesses you've had to survive, what kind of abuse or brokenness that your lives have been through to make you who you are. But I, what I do know is that he's brought you here for such a time as this. And for us to be Redeemer Lincoln Square, we can't do that unless we first acknowledge that, that he has you here, that we can't live in the city unless we recognize that he's brought us here for that, that we're here for something bigger than just ourselves to make it, to survive, and then get out. And we will only go on mission in the city to live out our vision to the degree that we realize that we're not here just based on our decisions, but that it was his decision to have you here for now by his hand. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, Let's get back to this week's episode. Now, secondly, before we can now talk about, okay, well, what, what, what should we do while we're here? We first need to see the three alternatives to mission that the text gives us. The three alternatives are this. The first one is to assimilate. Look at verse 6. God, through Jeremiah, says in verse 6, I want you to increase in number and not decrease. He has to say this. Because the reason for the Babylonians to bring them into Babylon was to kind of get rid of their distinctives. Assimilation means let's take all your skill sets, your weaving and your pottery and your, 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 uh, the things about your culture we want, let's take them, but then over a couple generations, we know that you'll start forgetting who you are, what you're about, who you worship, how you worship him, we're going to assimilate you into this space. It's where, you, it's, the, it's where you lose one's faith and identity and take on the surrounding culture's ideals and narratives. And so God says, no, 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 no. Do not decrease, increase. 
So that's the first alternative, assimilate. Secondly, though, the other option that stops mission is uh, what I'll call withdrawal or separation. Uh, you have to go to chapter 28 for this, but there was a very large contingent of people who was very loudly saying through the prophet Hananiah and others to stay out of the city, to separate. They wanted to go full Amish and say, you know what, let's stay in these tents, let's huddle together, God is going to do something to take us back out of here really, really soon, so um, instead, you know, we might go down to kind of get some food or go into the city to use it for what we want for our own people, but basically, let's not move in. And it's not printed in our text, but the very next line in verse 8 and 9, God says, do not believe that lie. Don't you dare give in to that either. And see, most people think, well, there's only two options, right? Either be part of the people or separate from the people. But God says, no, in verse 5, I want you to do something different. I want you to increase and not decrease. And the way you're going you're gonna to stake your own separate people is you're going to build, plant, settle down, plant gardens, eat the produce. Think about that for a second. When you plant, I don't know, I, I haven't planted a lot in my life. I grew up here. It's not my fault. But I think when you put a seed in the ground, sometimes it takes a couple iterations before it works, before the, there's really good harvest, before there's a bounty that comes out of it. Or when you build a home, you're not in a tent. Tents are nomadic people. But when you build a place, you're going to stay there for a while. And so God is saying, stick around. If assimilation, then, is you come into the city to lose your identity, you come into the city and you lose the larger purpose and meaning for why you're there. And separation is I stay outside the city, I don't engage, I don't care about it. Then here are some mentalities that, that you might not recognize as one or the other. A separatist is somebody who says, you know what, I'm here, but I don't care about the people of the city, I don't care about the poor of the city, I don't care about the lost of the city, the non-Christian in the city. You don't engage them. Because if you love them, you're committed to them. If you're committed to them, you care about them. And a separatist would say, you know what? I might use the city. I might, I might increase my own group. But you don't really care about the city as a whole. By the way, for those of you who are like, I'm definitely here for just a few years. And I'm going to get what I can. And I'm going to move somewhere where it's cleaner or cheaper. It's possible if you're in it for just that comfortable life. If, you, if your decisions are purely made based on a consumeristic mentality, chances are you're a separatist. Chances are you're not actually doing what God is saying here because if you lose yourself, if you're sort of like, you know what, eat, drink, and be merry, I'm just gonna, whatever the people, whoever, whatever group I'm in, I'm just gonna become that group, that's an assimilationist mentality. But if you're saying, you know what, I'm, you know, I don't want to get involved because I don't want to be polluted. I don't want, I'm going to have a combative uh, posture to culture. I'm going to, I'm going to be sort of against it. I'm not going to really care about it. That's a separate mentality. Neither one of those views loves the place you're in. Neither one of those views loves the city. So I've actually recently in the, um, in the past, I've heard this, you know, separatist assimilation assimilationist mentalities, but there's actually a, th a third view that I'm going to call um, not assimilate, not separate, but procrastinate. There's people here that if you, you sit down with yourself and you say, what I, am I a separatist? Am I an assimilationist? Well, 
no, maybe you're not either one, but you know what? You haven't really given the time to think through. You're too busy. You're too apathetic. And so you're procrastinating. You're just sort of punting on the whole conversation in the first place. But look at verse 7. In verse 7, it says, pray to the Lord for it. Now, that's a curious phrase. I don't know if you know about prayer, but if you pray about something, you can't stay disengaged for a while. If you don't believe me, I, want, I challenge you. Pray for somebody for an entire year. Every day, pray for that person. I promise you, you will end up moving more towards them. You will end up caring more about them. Earlier this ministry, in last ministry year, Redeemer Lincoln Square did something called 90 for 9, where we prayed for 90 days, for 90 seconds per day, for nine people. And the stories that came out of that, that how our hearts gravitated to and, and how it changes you were impactful. What if, what if we were people who prayed for the city, who prayed for the needs, who prayed for the idols, who actually, think of the things that you don't like about this town. What if instead of going, ugh, we say, Lord, here are the things that I think need help. Here are the things I care about. Don't just talk about the things you don't like about it. Pray for it. Don't stay on the sidelines. Don't procrastinate. Don't assimilate. Don't separate. If we prayed, if we engaged, if we cared, that's what this is talking about. And if we don't do those things, let's do the evaluation. Maybe we've assimilated. Maybe we've separated. Maybe we've disengaged and, and procrastinated. God is stating very clearly, none of those options are okay. So, third point. Then what does this look like to go on mission? Uh, the most famous verse here is verse 7. Seek the peace and prosperity. This is, it's a command. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, we have to do a little bit of translation, because that word peace in English, it's peace. It's, it's sort of, or peace, peace, love, hope. It's, it's a flimsy word. It's, a, it's a, not a very concrete word, whatever peace means. In Hebrew, the word peace here is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom might be the richest word in their dictionary. It has depth and layeredness. It, is, it means wholeness. It means completeness. It means harmony. It means things restored and remade and recreated. It's everything that things should have been in the first place. That's what shalom means. And God is saying, I want you to do that for Babylon. And you can almost hear the outcry. That these people would have, the Israelites would have been like, What? These are the bad people. These are the, not, these are the wrong people. These are the people who are, are against us and hate us. And you want us to seek the peace and prosperity of them? If you go to Psalm 137, they used to sing, the Psalms were the songs that they would sing. And they used to sing this phrase, Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Translation, I can't wait to see how you're going to fall. I can't wait to... That, that, they sang that. And somehow God is saying, these are the people who are oppressive. These are people who are, are, are bringing brokenness and crime and idolatry. These are bad people, and yet I want you to pray for them. I want you to be involved in their lives. I want you not to assimilate or uh, procrastinate or separate, but seek the shalom of this group. And you know... 
You know what would have been easier? Anything else. If you were separatists, you can actually seek shalom better outside because you know what? You can just say, let's wait for this thing to burn down and I'll rebuild it up. That's actually what Jonah wanted to do in Nineveh. Or if you're an assimilationist, it's so much easier. You come in and the people are like, you're one of us. You don't have to code switch. You don't have to like at every single moral uh, problem ask, is this right or is this wrong? You don't have to worry about people accepting you because that's, you're already in. But to move in, to be part, and still keep your identity, to hold on to it would have been, is an utterly unique and I, I think it's obvious harder thing to do. Put it this way. Do you know how hard it is to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus so they get the benefits of Christ in a way where they're not screaming at you by the end of it and you're not screaming at them? Right? As separatists, it's easy. It's like, well, that's their fault. You know, they're just, that's their, they're, they're just not accepting what I'm telling them. But to, to build the trust, to stick around, to create the relationships long enough where even if they disagree, they say, you know what, that's interesting. I know that you care about me. Thank you for telling me that. Or, you know how much easier it would be just to be an assimilationist if, if we don't even want to tell people about Jesus? If we don't want to give them the good news of who he is, maybe we have already assimilated. There's too many needs in our city. There's too much shalom seeking needed here. That if we don't care about the poor and the needy and the, um, those who don't know who, who Jesus is, we're, we might be just assimilating to the culture of consumerism or we're separating ourselves, our pocketbooks, our money, our time, and our lives. And, I, and for us to live out our vision, this is why this, this phrase is in here. To exist in the city has to be in the city and neither fully in or fully out. Our posture is it's really nuanced here. If God created all things good, but all things are fallen, but he's redeeming all things, that means this city, every aspect of it is actually at some level there's something good in it. And yet, you can't, that means we're not going to be fully against anything in this town. And yet, it's broken, which means you can't fully throw yourself into anything. There is, a, there is sin and brokenness everywhere. And so we don't fully cut everything out. We don't fully throw ourselves in it, but we know God is redeeming it, and he's going to use us as part of that process. So what would our posture be? We would stay longer than we thought we would. If you were born here, you can still not live on mission in the city. You would actually push yourself to live for the shalom of this place. He carried you here. Are you going to live in light of that? Probably the most interesting thing that this text is doing is these people were mourning, they were lamenting. It, took, it turned mourners into missionaries. When you're mourning, you're, too much, you're looking in. Oh, woe is me. And he says, mourners become missionaries. And I think it could do the same for us if we let it. So, last point. How? Through the peacemaker. Who do we know? Who do we know who left his home to seek the shalom of a place that didn't love him, that didn't care for him, that didn't want him, who do we know didn't assimilate? He didn't give in to the temptations of whatever, what was being offered to him. He didn't say, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what? Forget this. But he also didn't separate. He didn't say to the cup of wrath that came, no, I will not drink it. He didn't stay away. Instead, he got what we deserved. He got the exile. He got the exclusion. He had perfect shalom in heaven. He had perfect harmony. 
He had no reason to necessarily leave that, but he did to enter into our sadness, our hurt, our pain, and all the many exiles that you and I are actually on right now. And yet, he did that by building, by planting, by sowing seeds, loving and serving, caring about the poor, the needy, the convinced, the unconvinced. If our identity was in Christ, and he did this for us, if you put that at the core of who you are, guess what? You're going to go to the city filled with people who don't love you, who don't care about you, and you're going to, what are you going to do? Are you going to assimilate to them? No, they don't have what we have in him. But you're not going to separate. Because he has something for them too, through us. And if we have this, we'll have the power in you if we make it the center of who we are. And that power is the power that comes because we know deep down, if he did this for us, we have been forgiven much. And guess what? Forgiven people forgive. And when you can forgive, if you have that power, you're going to be able to do healing that nobody else can do in the city. That's what Luke says, basically says, that the, the worse that you know that you are, the more you sense your need, guess what's going to happen? One, you're not going to be surprised when other people are bad, when the city is broken. You're not going to say, oh my gosh, what's going on here? No, you know what's going on. It's the same stuff that's in you. And yet, knowing that we're still part of the new city to come, that we are heirs to that, that true city, knowing that that one is going to be here, we can live in the broken ones now and not look to get away and not look to give in. It was Alexander McLaren who reminds us that the Bible starts in a garden and it ends in the city. But this is not our final home, right? It's still coming. And the future is assured. And so that allows us to live in the here and now, knowing that this is not what it's supposed to be, but what we can actually be part of little glimmers of what it could be. If Jesus' hands were open to you and you grasp that and make the center of your life, our hands can be open to the city. Um, I don't know if you know this, but Amazon is making uh, a new version of Lord of the Rings. And it's a super expensive ordeal, so I, 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 you know, I hope it's going to be good, but nobody knows. And Peter Jackson did, made these movies, Lord of the Rings movies, years ago. And in one of the scenes of that, of the, that movie, um, Gladriel is speaking to Frodo. Frodo is a halfling. He's half the size of everybody else. Nobody gives them... A, a fighting chance and she says to him this in the movie even the smallest person can change the course of the future that sounds nice even the smallest person but the way it functions is like you know what if you try hard if you're good if you if you uh anybody even the smallest person can, can do something and we had this debate in my family when that came out Tolkien wouldn't yeah, that's the kind of family i'm in that we debate about these things but Tolkien would never have said that. He never, why? As a Christian, his worldview, the whole arc of humanity, what God was actually doing, he, ne he never would have said even the smallest person could change the course of the future. He would have said only the smallest person can change the course of the future because only that story, not the great warrior, not the famous person, not the person of renown, it's always the lowly, the carpenter, the poor, the forgotten, the downtrodden has the potential to move into a space and revitalize it and change it. That's exactly what Jesus does. And 
because that's how power works, not by accruing it. I don't know if you've noticed, when you accrue power, it breaks everything. It's when you give power away. That's where real power comes. And if we were people who wielded power the same way Jesus wielded power, by giving power away, then we would not be trying to grab it, we'd be trying to give it. And that would change the world. So last thing, practical applications, super fast. Please don't be scoffers. It's so cool and in right now to look down. Right now, religious people look down on cities. They go, oh, all those godless people, all those people that, you know, look at all the brokenness. I, it was hard for me over during the pandemic to see uh, Republicans saying, oh, cities are just failed Democratic, um, you know, policies. And the Democrats saying, oh, cities are, look at all the brokenness. Give us more money. We need more. But both were basically looking at cities saying, look how messed up. You know what that sounds like to me? Separatists. People who aren't willing to get down dirty, stay longer, be present. Don't give up your identity. Don't um, move out, but move in. And be here longer than we thought. Or if we've been here always, to actually be here with a purpose and a mission, knowing that his hand is behind it. Lastly, I guess I want us to ask introspective questions. Where, where might have we assimilated too much in our life? Where are ways that we've lost our saltiness, lost our light, lost our, our identity? Where have we separated? Where have we been like, you know what? I'm out, don't want this, don't need it. And where have we just procrastinated? Where have we just said, I'm too tired, I'm too busy? The mission of this church is to be in the city, and we can do that to the degree that our hearts have been revitalized by the true peacemaker, the true shalomist in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some of this stuff is core DNA aspects of, of, of Redeemer, and yet we have to constantly revitalize it in our own hearts because we... we <laughs> We oscillate between both extremes. Sometimes we don't, we do, we're not intentional. We're assimilationists. We've given in. We've, we've, we've bought into the narratives and storylines of what culture has said, Father, and it's not going to be enough. They're incomplete stories. And some of us have been separatists. Some of us are, are trying not to get our hands dirty. Building and planting is effort, it takes sweat, it takes equity, it takes these things that, that uh, it takes sweat equity to, to build and make. I pray, Father, that we would be people that's intentional. When we feel exhausted, we, when we want to mourn, we can be missionaries. Make us people that have the bandwidth to give, to move out and serve in love as those who have been served in love. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.